1857, there was an archaeological discovery made near the Palatine Hill in Rome. It was actually ancient graffiti. More precisely, it was ancient anti-Christian graffiti from around the year 200. Now, back then, they obviously didn't have spray paint. It was a figure etched into a wall, uh, an image of a crucified figure with the body of a man and the head of a donkey. To the left of the crucified figure is a man uh, with a hand raised, presumably in some gesture of worship. And below the inscription in crude Greek, Alexamenos worshiping his God. The image is blasphemy. It's uh, uh, mocking our Lord. But I mention it because it, it points to a criticism that the pagan world leveled at the early church often. How can you believe in and worship a crucified God? For the pagans in Rome, that uh, question, the answer seemed obvious. It's impossible. It's a contradiction. But look, you don't have to be an ancient Roman pagan to raise that question. I mean, after all, God is infinite. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And yet we believe that God became man, that Jesus Christ is truly and fully human, but also truly and fully divine, and he endures crucifixion. This form of capital punishment that was so bad, it was only reserved for the very worst of criminals and traitors and rebels. How does that work? How does that make sense? Well, I would venture to say our gospel points us in the right direction. And it begins with John the Baptist identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This concept of Jesus as the Lamb of God, it helps us to make sense of the cross. This concept helps us to answer this question, how can we believe in and worship a crucified God? Now, we Catholics are very familiar with this term. We say it or sing it multiple times at every single Mass. But what does it mean? We could have a whole homily series on it because there are scriptural allusions to the Lamb of God from Genesis to Revelation. If you want to get at the heart at what the Baptist, John the Baptist, is trying to get at, you need to go back to Exodus, to the night that God liberated Israel from slavery in Egypt. For on that night, he commanded Israel to perform a ritual sacrifice in meal. Each household was to sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb without blemish, to take the blood of that lamb and post it on uh, and paint it on the doorposts and the lintels of the house. And the blood of the lamb is what saved them from the angel of death who would pass over their homes after that. Finally, each family had to consume this land, cook and consume this entire Paschal lamb that night. And what does that have to do with Jesus? The Passover lamb is a foreshadowing. It's a preview, if you will, of Jesus, the Lamb of God. The Passover lamb was a sacrifice offered to God. Jesus on the cross 
offered himself as a sacrifice to God the Father. He offers something that God the Father loves infinitely more than sin displeases him. Thus, this sacrifice superabundantly atones for our sins. Christ more than pays the price for our sins. But this atonement has to be applied to our souls individually. This redemption has to be applied to us as individuals. His precious blood must be applied to the doorposts of our life, our heart and soul, so to speak. Typically, this happens in the sacraments. Just as the blood of the Paschal Lamb saved the Israelites from the angel of death, so too we Christians are saved from eternal death by being marked at baptism with the precious blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. When we sin after baptism, we are washed clean in the blood of the Lamb by making a good confession. When we go to confession, we are allowing the precious blood of the Lamb of God to once again be applied to the doorposts of our life to free us from sin, death, and the devil. And then remember, the Passover ritual was not completed by the sacrifice or the, or the painting of the blood on the doorposts alone. No, each family had to consume the Paschal Lamb. And so, just as the Israelites consumed the meat of the Passover lamb, so do we consume the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, in the Eucharist, who is present, really, truly, and substantially, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearance of bread and wine. Baptism, Eucharist, confession, these sacraments, all the sacraments, but these three in particular, apply the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to our, the doorposts of our hearts and souls, saving us from the dominion of sin, death, and the devil. So how can we believe in and worship a crucified God? This concept of Jesus as the Lamb of God shows us that there's no contradiction. It shows us that the cross of Jesus Christ was not some accident. Right? It was not some tragic, unfortunate event that befell Jesus of Nazareth. No, as he says in the Gospel of John, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down so that I can take it up again. This concept of the Lamb of God shows us that this is a part of a plan unfolding from all eternity. That God was preparing the way some 2,000 years before the events of that first Good Friday by injecting this meaning into, this spiritual meaning into the Passover and the events of the Exodus. The, the, the Christ, the Lamb of God, it also helps us to understand how the cross redeems us. For the cross is not the demise of Jesus Christ, but an altar upon which the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Then lastly, this concept of Christ the Lamb of God, it hints at the mysterious quality of the cross, this paradoxical quality. You know, the cross on that first Good Friday, it seemed like the tragic end of Jesus of Nazareth, but by the power of God it was not. And we see this at play down through the ages. You know, I mentioned this graffiti at the beginning from 200 AD in Rome. You know, Christians, the church, the early church faced on again, off again, violent persecution for the first three centuries or so of her history from the Roman Empire. 
And this graffiti shows that not only would they face on-again, off-again persecution, depending on who was emperor, but that there was a hostile and intolerant pagan culture. But you know what's interesting is when they found this graffiti, they also found something of a response, too. Next to it is a second inscription written in Latin. The first one had been written in Greek, which says, Aleximenos Fidelis, Aleximenos the Faithful. It's as if this Christian were saying, you mock Christ crucified. You know, St. Paul said, the cross of Christ is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those who believe, to those who are called, it's the power and wisdom of God. It is our life and our salvation. And what happened? Eventually, there was an emperor who legalized Christianity. And two centuries after this graffiti was written, if there were pagans, they were a fast, there were, they were a fast dwindling minority. The cross had conquered the unconquerable empire of Rome. And we can take heart from this as well. We don't deal with persecution like the Christians in ancient Rome did. But we do live in a culture that's increasingly hostile and intolerant to the faith. You don't have to look far to find someone mocking the faith on social media or wherever. But we ought to respond as our ancestors did, with faithfulness, putting our trust not in the, wor in the world, but in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world the Lamb once slain who lives forever. Let's put our trust in him and persevere as our ancestors did so that one day we might live and reign with Christ forever. <laughs>